You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You're listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And Eric, it's the first time in a long time we've done this show face to face. It's been the, since the Rose Bowl. Yes. Since Pasadena. Since Pasadena. I uh, want to remind Duck fans out there, if you're not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, you can do so now. Uh, your first month is just $1. That's all it costs for you to get a VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com. And then after your first month, it goes up to your regular pricing of nine ninety five. Inside scoop, expert analysis. You get to read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. And then I think one of the best perks of your membership when you're paying a full price, you get CBS All Access, 10,000 shows, live sports, movies, all commercial-free all on demand of, as well, live sports included in that with your CBS All Access perk. All right, now we're in. We're recording this one on a Sunday afternoon um, inside Matthew Knight Arena after Oregon's senior day for saying goodbye to Sabrina Ionescu, Ruthie Hebert, Mignon Moore, and also Junior uh, Satu Sabali, and and it was kind of just felt like an overall celebration of those four players this season where yeah. this basketball program has come and it all rolled into one where they just dominated a, a Washington team to secure their third straight Pac-12 championship. Yeah, and we talked about this, I think, earlier in the week. And we should note we're sitting here on press row. Yeah. And currently, Peyton Pritchard and Sabrina Ionescu are having a shooting contest, so we might be distracted because <laughs> it's not very often you get to see this kind of thing. They're both trying to swish shots from, like, six feet from the basket right now, so that's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, we talked earlier about this week about how um, this Sunday's game and really this weekend as a whole would be more of a celebration than it would be and a little bit separate from – the basketball game, and, and you're right, Matt, like Oregon, we should say, Washington challenges Oregon in the first quarter. Oregon only outscores Washington by one point. It's 19-18 after one quarter. They come out in the second, and they outscore them by 21, outscore them by 12 in the third, and then it's, uh, a, you know, from there, it, that's the way the game plays. Yep. Oregon wins 92-56. to 56. It's a dominant performance, a performance where all four of those players you mentioned who are being uh, honored tonight, or today, I should say, uh, scoring double figures, Ruthie Hebrew with 24, Satu Sabali with 20, Sabrina with 13 and, and Mignon Moore with 11. Good to see all four of them play at that level. But again, I think I felt like this was sort of more about the things around the game, the game itself. Yep. Like you were saying, and Matt actually just penned a really good story that'll be up on the site, talking about that, about the way this community has gotten behind this program is really evident on days like today, where you've got over 12,000 people packed into this arena. It was a sellout. There wasn't an empty seat. And with every trip up and down the court and every basket and defensive stop, the crowd goes wild. And after the game, no one leaves. When, yeah. When, the, when you know, the, the, no one leaves in the third or fourth quarter when the game is 30 to 40 points. Everyone sticks around and, you know, wants to just kind of pay their, you know, I guess respects to the four outgoing players during their speeches. And, you know, all four of them spoke. All four players talked about how this isn't really goodbye. And, that, you know, and that's really, I think, that, a big part of this is that Oregon's going to play two more home games here yeah. in a couple of weeks in the, in the NCAA tournament, and they could play as many as ten postseason games. Or actually, I guess it's nine postseason games from here 
three in the Pac-12 tournament, which starts on Thursday, um, and then six in the NCAA tournament, including potentially a national championship game in, in New Orleans in early April. Um, this is not the end of the road for these guys, and so it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, it's, it is senior day, but it's not it doesn't feel like there's too much fun finality to it in terms of the season itself. It was a really cool event. I thought it was awesome to see the reception the players got. But, you know, in postgame, players even said, like, we, we know this isn't the end of yep. the line for us. And I'm just – this was the first game I've attended all year. And it wasn't because – I mean, I, I wasn't paying attention to the team. I, I mean, I watched every game on, on TV. I was captivated all year by this team. It was just – you know the way our roles we we yeah, worked we it out. We split year. our roles differently, and and I focus primarily on the men. You focus primarily on the women. And I mean, I went to multiple games covering it last year, and I went to multiple games with my family in the stands last year. But this was the first time I was here this year, and obviously today was a little bit different because of Senior Day mm-hmm. and and whatnot. But just the overall vibe and yeah. environment of Matt Nine Arena what it was like today like it was insane i mean i mean i i i think your answer would be today was probably a little bit different than mm-hmm. it was in other so. other games but it just felt like this program has gone up even another notch from where it was last year where people were saying wow look how far the fan base has come look how far the team has come you know the environment here at matinat arena for a women's game it seems like it's even exponentially grown again yeah and, and today you're right today is a little different i think there were you know multiple times where the crowd reached a favorite pitch when the game wasn't even taking yeah. place you know in pregame warm-ups when they announce basically the entire starting five four of which you know were represented as, as seniors and juniors today the crowd went crazy when there were a curtain call for all four of those players with about three minutes to play in the game with oregon up obviously by about 35 40 points at that point the crowd stops what they're doing and, and goes crazy as well and, and really it, w- it was cool watching those players received like that. So, yeah, today's a little different. Those type of things don't typically happen. Yep. But at the same time, yeah, this is not that out of the ordinary in terms of what we've seen out of this program and the way this fan base has really received them. And this is not something that happens anywhere else really in the country. <laughs> I mean, like, let's just be real about it. Like, this is very, very unique to this program uh, and this fan base. And it's something that I think you have to appreciate. And for those that didn't make it out to a women's home game this season, Next year will be probably a little bit different because you're not going to have that star power. But I fully expect that this is not the end of the line yeah. for a a fan base coming out and, and supporting this program because the roots have been set really deep with this with this group and with this program and with the talent on the roster now that'll be back and the five five star recruits next year. There's gonna that'll just continue. But today was about this upperclassmen group and, and what they've meant here. And I thought it was a great celebration. Thought they all represented themselves very well, you know, with their speeches. Uh, and I think you come away going like, man, that was just a really special day to, to be a part of this thing. We're about seven minutes into the podcast. I don't know if we even mentioned the score. 92-56 to <laughs> Oregon over the Washington Huskies. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go too much in terms of analysis um, no. of this game and the Washington State game, which Oregon played on Friday, uh, which clinched the Pac-12 championship. But just your opinion of where this team is at in terms of playing at their highest level at this point in the year. Yeah, well, they've won 16 games in a row, which sets you up for a great point. And I actually thought... Kelly Graves made this point, and I hadn't really thought about it, but he says he feels 
is a very different perspective right now about where they're headed for postseason than they did last year. He said last year they were kind of limping into the postseason, and and he's right. I kind of you kind of forget about that because they made that Final Four right. run and were so dominant all year. But Hebert missed a game against Oregon State with with a knee injury and really wasn't ever 100 percent the rest of the way. And Taylor Chavez w was out at this point of the year and it was done for the season. Um, and she was another crucial piece to last year's team. And they really only had six or seven players healthy yeah. at this point last year. Now they have 10, 11. They can really go into their, their bench and, and kind of mix it up. You know, tonight they played 10 different players at least 10 minutes. And obviously that's impacted by the fact that they won by 36 points. But they have so much more depth right now. And, and I, I, do, I do think, like, it's hard to find a real concern about this team with how they're playing right now. The offensively, they are so talented and so dynamic in so many different ways. It's not just three-point shooting. It's not just getting the ball to Hebert at the block. They have a ton of different ways to score the basketball. And defensively, they're really disruptive. Um, they had 17 steals tonight. They Jeez. forced 22 turnovers. And that gets almost overlooked just because, you know, all everything else that's going on. But, yeah, this is a game that you, you come away with feeling really good about where they're at. And, and I think Graves is right in terms of you look at the – at the trajectory of this year's season, it feels a little different than a year ago, and you enter postseason play, and I'm knocking again on wood here, everyone stays healthy. Um, it really does feel like this is the real deal. All right, real quick. So I think we pretty much know if you could set the table for the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. Um, starts on Thursday, I believe. Yep. The women will, for, the, for Oregon, will play their first game on Friday because they've won the conference championship, which means... Yep. They the got top seed. the top seed, and the top seed gets a bye. So do two, three, and four in the conference. But kind of what's just at, at what's the, the the stage right now for Oregon? What do they have to look forward yeah. to? So yeah, if you're just here's just a schedule for you. These are already online. You can check it out. I've got a story up. Um, Oregon will play its first game on Friday at 2 p.m. against the winner of Utah versus Washington in the 8-9 game, which is going to be played at 2 p.m. on Thursday. There might be some noise here. We've got uh, <laughs> the, we're standing here, and we've got people cleaning up the. <laughs> cleaning up garbage around us so hopefully the audio is not too compromised but uh, uh yeah and then they'll play on f uh sorry on saturday at 6 p.m if they win the first game if they win their first game on friday which i think we feel pretty good about having seen utah and washington yeah. a couple times this season that seems pretty likely um and with a championship game set for sunday at 5 p.m uh, a little strange this year ucla uh ends up being the two seed over stanford because of a stanford loss a couple of nights ago to what or to arizona i should say so they're going to be uh, the Bruins will be the two seed this year. Stanford had been the two seed the previous two Pac-12 tournament runs Oregon has been in. Arizona lost to Cal, last yeah, place Cal surprising. today, which was a weird one after Arizona had just beaten Stanford to turn around and lose to a team that was two wins in Pac-12 play. Um, they'll be the four seed. Those are the four teams with the bye. Arizona State, Oregon State um, tied at 10-8 and eight for 5-6 and six in the Pac-12. So those are the, uh, kind of your other contenders. But it is really Oregon, and, and the way that it sets up, it looks more, than, more and more like that they're going to play uh, – probably Utah or Washington that first game, and then Arizona in the semifinals, a talented team, a challenging team, um, and then either UCLA or Stanford more than likely in the championship game on Sunday. That's the way it plays out right now. Obviously, a lot can change. You could have a bunch of upsets. The conference yep. has been that way this season, but um, that's sort of the way it looks at the moment. Speaking of change, speaking of upsets, uh, the men's side of things has been full of this. Yes. Um, the men did not play this weekend. They actually are preparing as we're recording this podcast Sunday afternoon to have their first practice since Thursday night's Civil War victory. Uh, Dana Altman had said after the game that he kind of enticed them a little bit with the the idea of if, if they got the Civil War win that they would have two days off of a break, no practice 
for on Friday or Saturday. Um, and so they're having their first practice since that game, getting ready for their final homestand, which will be this week. Uh, rankings will come out later today as we're recording this podcast on Sunday. We're releasing it on Monday, obviously. Um, rankings will come out Monday morning. I expect Oregon to, to be right around that fringe top 10 level. A lot of teams yeah. right around their level and in the top 10 have lost multiple games this week. I think like seven teams or six teams in the top 10 alone lost on Saturday. Um, there's going to be a lot of movement in the top 25. Uh, there was a lot of movement in the standings this week. Uh, Oregon goes into the final week of the season half a game out of first place, exactly where they were going into Thursday, but yep. it's now just the teams have changed. Um, the UCLA Bruins, of all of all teams, the UCLA Bruins are in first Somehow. place. Uh, they're half a game up on Oregon with a 12-5 and record. They just play USC on the road this this week uh, to close out the regular season. Oregon is second at 11-5, and five, half a game out. Arizona State is third place at 10-6 and six with a one-and-a-half game differential. And basically for Oregon, it comes down to this. If you win your two games this week at home on Thursday against Cal, at home against Stanford on thir- on Saturday night, if you win both those games, the worst you can do is sharing of a conference championship with the UCLA Bruins. And Oregon would get the number one seed in the Pac-12 championship game or Pac-12 championship tournament because they absolutely destroyed the Bruins in the only meeting of the two teams this season. So uh, from the men's side of things, everything is still in their favor. It's completely different on the men's side than the women's yeah, side, right? Like a little bit. Side, it's like Oregon is pretty clearly the heavy, heavy favorite going into Vegas. I feel like looking at the standings, what, like there's seven teams maybe that could yeah. win the Pac-12 tournament? I mean, like it's completely wide open. Um, Matt, looking at the – I know this is going to ch- – subject to change, and we won't even know. We have no idea what the bracket will look like for about a week here. But looking at it right now, and I know Oregon – on a little bit of a win streak, but there's some concern here because of the Duarte injury. Yeah. Who do you think Oregon wants to see if they could choose their, like, a couple opponents? Who, who are teams that maybe would be favorable and who are teams they maybe would want to shy away I, from? I think you would love to play a Stanford team on the road, a Cal team on the road, in, in the Pac-12 tournament, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, a Washington State team, obviously. Those are kind of the teams that you would want in, for your first-round matchup. You're not going to play more than likely an Arizona team uh, or a USC team in the Pac-12's quarterfinal round. I, but I would not want to play either of those two teams if I was Oregon. Um, I, I know the Bruins are hot, and I know that they've played significantly better as as of late. But And I know Chris Duarte's finger status is in limbo. Sure. But I just go back to Peyton Pritchard against Tiger Campbell. Um, and then when Tiger Campbell left the game with an injury, they were even worse. Uh, they had no answer for Pritchard in that game. And I, I think the Bruins would be a fine matchup for Oregon. Um, I think Arizona State would be a good matchup for them, even though that they had that loss down in the desert just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, think about how, how poorly they played in that game, and yet they lost by four or five points. Um, and, and so I, I think ASU, I think – Stanford, Cal, UCLA, those are the teams that you want to play. You want to avoid Arizona, and you want to avoid USC, and I think you you probably want to avoid Colorado as well until you get to the championship game just because those are teams that this year have given you matchup problems 
it, it, multiple games. Yeah, this stability is like non-existent on the men's side. Like, yes. I don't know who you like. You just look at it and go like, I don't know who you feel really confident from night to night being really competitive. We should mention Arizona State entered this week like really controlling its own destiny. They, and they did, just, and then lost both games. <laughs> yeah, and now they're completely out of it basically. And so. if, <laughs> if the, the crazy thing for Arizona State is, I mean, they they play the Washington schools at, at home to close out the year, and they should win both those games. But at the same time, with the way the league has gone, like. It wouldn't surprise me if either one of those teams knocks off ASU at home. Was, and, you know, ASU all of a sudden, if they lose a game, could be in danger of not having a bye. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the way the league has played out, don't be shocked at all if, like, the Huskies, who are 3-13, and who've been terrible at stretches this season. Yeah, get a sweep a in talent. the desert. Yeah, get a sweep in the desert, and suddenly you look up and, like, wow, they just ruined two teams' postseason <laughs> tournament. But that's just the way it seems to go right now. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pray. Merrick Scopel is with me as always. And uh, recording this podcast and... We've gone heavy on basketball, and understandably so. The regular we season, arena. we are in Matinee Arena as we're recording this. Um, but it's also time to—I don't know if you're ready for this, but I'm get not. but get ready for Oregon football because spring practice starts uh, this week on a Thursday. Yeah, and we need to start diving into this, this spring football discussion here. Let me clarify my point of saying I'm not ready. I am super excited about it, <laughs> but I'm not ready in terms of like my head so scattered with this women's basketball team and, and this men's team and all sure. of that going on with softball playing that like football and football having not been fully on my radar enough on my radar that I'm writing like one or two stories a day probably on football, but not to the extent where I'm like super like prepared for it, but at the same time I'm like really excited to get going on this. And so yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff we'll talk about throughout this week, and we'll we'll start those conversations right now. But um, Matt, I guess like what's your excitement level? Are you like me, where you're just like kind of coming into this like boy, my brain's been so many different directions. <laughs> it's like, kind of like I don't know, like, mind melded. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm excited because we're gonna. Sounds like at least. From a media perspective, we're going to be led into practice a little bit more. Crossing my fingers. Crossing our fingers there. I mean, we hadn't really been into a, a Oregon football practice until August, since, yeah, since August. Mid-August. So we'll get a chance to actually watch some practice, watch some drills, watch uh, some communication between coaches and players, players and players, and coaches and coaches and whatnot, and just kind of see that. We'll, we'll also get a look at a little bit of the Joe Moorhead offense. and mm-hmm. um, So I, I think there's a lot of excitement, but I think it'll probably happen after this first session. So if, yeah. if, if, you're, unf- if you're unfamiliar with 
the spring's practice schedule. They're going to have, I think it's like four or five practices uh, during the month of March. And this is going to go through in about a two-week period where they'll have two during this coming week and then Thursday and Saturday, and then they'll have three the next week. And then they go on about a two-and-a-half, three-week break, spring break, finals, uh, and then I, the next term will, will, or quarter system for, for the school's academic calendar will turn over. A bunch of new pro- players will have arrived and will have enrolled early, and they'll open up practice again and have their you know three weeks and nine practices over that three-week period ending with the, the spring game. And so I think that second period is when it will really kick in for me because – you and I both are just we're not knee deep we're neck deep in conference championship runs for the men and the women's teams for basketball and both teams have aspirations of making the final four both teams have realistic scenarios of making the final four the men probably not as realistic as the women but it's still something that we have to watch something that we have to talk about because it could still happen um and it's not an outside shot for them to do it either. Uh, so I, I, I think once basketball is over, I'll really kick into gear of the excitement level. But I'm sure on Thursday when we go to our first practice, I'll walk out of there and wow, that was exciting. I'm, I'm fired up. Let's go. We just watch like nothing besides <laughs> on air for like 30 minutes and just people running around doing slant drills for a while. Yeah, that's probably what it's going to be. But it will be fun. And like um, I should say, we're going to talk about a couple of things that we're excited about. We already have a fair amount of spring preview content on the site. And I did have a story I wrote earlier. I guess it would be technically last month because we've now somehow it's already March. Yes. Um, but I have got uh, five items that I'm most looking forward to this spring. Um, that's up on the website. You can go check that out. Um, some things that are probably pretty obvious, like hey, who's going to play quarterback in yeah. Oregon? That's pretty interesting. Like, is Joe Moorhead going to be a good fit with this offense? Uh, but also a couple other things that I'll be looking at. So go ahead and check that out on the site uh, when you get a chance. But there's just a lot of things I think that. Okay, give that, us one. Give us like. I won't know the quarterback because that's so obvious. Yes. Everyone's like wants to know about that. Um, I think for me, another thing that's really going to be inter- you know, interesting to see is just how these incoming freshmen look. Yeah. Um, and this is a big one every year, but especially this year where you're going to have a player like Noah Sewell here for the first five practices as well as the second ten. And we should mention uh, Justin Flo will be here for the second half of spring, and that's when it will, it will kind of pick up a little bit. But you're going to have Noah Sewell here. You're going to have Jonathan Dennis, TJ Bass. They're already on campus. Safeties, uh, Bennett Williams and Jared Greenfield, a couple of defensive linemen, and Jake yep. Shipley and Braden Swinson. All of them have been here since January. It's going to be an opportunity to see all of those guys for the first time. I think with a player like Noah Sewell in particular, like where exactly is he lining up? Is he going to be playing with his hand in the dirt as an end? Is he going to be standing as an outside or an inside linebacker? Um, what does it look like in terms of his ability to actually see the field right away? Is, is he, does he have a chance to do something like that? We'll get an idea of maybe a little bit of the hierarchy of the, the too deep defensively for that. So those are the kind of things that I get really excited about because it's just new information that we don't, we don't previously have. And I think we're going to learn a lot even if that information ends up not meaning too much, like two weeks later when they re, when, you know, when they start practicing again, but we're going to learn some new things I think in that first week um, of practice, and especially about what these fresh who these freshmen are and kind of how they might fit into something. That's something I'm really excited about. All right, position battles. I think there's a lot out there. Obviously, the number one position battle out there is quarterback. Breaking news. Oh, wait, actually, it's the punter. I was just going to say, <laughs> is it Tom Snee versus I don't know who the other punting candidates are right now because I haven't gotten that far yet. Um, I wish I could tell you, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously the quarterback position is what everyone's going to want to know about, what everyone's going to want to talk about, whatever. I mean, we're going to shoot it. We're going to 
videograph it. We're we're gonna write about it. We're gonna talk about it on the podcast for months to come. The position battle. I didn't mention. I should. Sorry to cut you off. Jay Butterfield is also here. He's yes. a quarterback, and that's important to note. He'll you know. be in, he'll be involved in that quarterback battle. Yes, he will. Uh, and and we'll certainly track that. And I don't think anyone really wants us to go out there too deep analysis of a position ballot quarterback because we already kind of know it there's no new information yeah and i think everyone kind of knows it's it's tyler shuck's job to lose uh there's a couple candidates that could beat him um jay butterfield maybe robbie ashford when he shows up in the summertime but he's not here right now yeah kale millen Millen is now healthy and he'll be able to participate at the quarterback spot in spring ball so kind of how i guess it's more so for me at quarterback how wide is the gap between Tyler Shuck and Kale Millen and Jay Butterfield, and yeah, will that and will that gap close or, or widen when spring camp wraps up uh, April eighteenth? I think that's going to be the question. Is there any chance in your mind that Mario Cristobal will name a starting no. quarterback after this? Absolutely game? no. Same here. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> we're, we're in agreement there. Yeah, I, that, I don't expect that something we'll know until probably mid fall camp. Cristobal is the master of figuring out ways to motivate and to. Uh, develop competition, and so that Saying goes. This guy's got the job. Yes, that, before the season starts, doesn't really help. That does goes it. <laughs> completely against uh, everything he has done since his time at Oregon. So I'd be shocked. I mean, it doesn't mean he's not going to do it, but I mean, it would just blow me away. And, well, maybe if it is a thing where Shuck's just so good, he's just like, okay, let's give him the confidence to get yeah. the keys to it. But That's I, like I mean, the only I'm, way. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um. So outside of the quarterback spot, I think there's a couple other positions. I mean, offensively, who's the center? Jake Hansen has been yeah. that guy for four years. His backup on the depth chart, at least, has been Ryan Walk, who, no pun intended, was a walk-on at Oregon from, from Shelton High School in Eugene. He was actually Justin Herbert's, I think, his center for one year. Um, they played together. They played a couple years together. Uh, but he's going to be a, a redshirt junior next season. Um, where does he fit in? Is it somebody else? Is it an Alex Forsyth who has been deemed, you know, Mr. Versatile along the offensive line? The it, next Calvin Throckmorton. Yes. Is it somebody else that that's new on the roster? Uh, maybe Jonathan Dennis. I have no idea if he has snapping abilities. T.J. Bass. T.J. Bass. But who who takes over that center spot will be one thing for me. I think defensively too, um, the linebackers. Yeah. Of. Is it going to be the old guard of Isaac Slade and Samson New who man the middle, or is it going to be a young guy that kind of works his way in to work with Isaac Slade? Yeah, we should mention on offense, there is a lot on the offensive line. It's not just center. It's like everything besides Penny Sewell right. is up for grabs, so we will certainly have to keep an eye for... Okay. Sure. Okay. So there's a there's the interruption we there's talked interruption. about before the podcast might happen. It also gives us a cap from we have to yes, finish. Yes, we have to finish in nine minutes. We have nine minutes to finish this podcast, so we will get that done. Uh, thank you, Nate. Uh, great work this season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, there's the entire offensive line. It needs to be replaced, or basically with, besides Penny Sewell. So there'll be that, and then defensively, yeah, it is going to be interesting. Um, and I will say, like, we don't learn a ton at the one inside linebacker spot because Justin Fuller won't be here. And I think, to me at least, that competition, he's the center of that. Like, if he's as good as advertised, he's going to win that job. But we might th- it might be a thing where somebody has an opportunity to really, like, be like, hey, I'm I, I, I'm deserving to at least be in the conversation here. Like, maybe if somebody, maybe a G-Mon Eford or an MJ Cunningham or a Drew Mathless, a couple guys that were backups to Troy Dive this last year, maybe one of those guys or a couple of those guys come out and look awesome for the first week of practice and we go, Oh boy! Well, maybe Justin Flo's gonna have a hard time. 
Um, and then the, the stud linebacker position that Bryson Young played uh, will also be open, obviously. And I think that's one where you could see a Noah Sewell maybe working there. You could see a Mace Funa, probably the favorite right now for that job, he and Sewell. Um, but there's going to be a couple of those spots defensively. I, I think for the first part of practice, I am curious to see that stud battle between Funa and Sewell and probably a couple other guys, uh, and Isaac Townsend from last year, a Trevin Mai. Uh, or a couple other guys that I know were working with that group previously. How do those guys fit in? And another spot we should mention offensively is tight end. Um, that I think that's one that maybe gets a little overlooked because technically Breland was out for the second half of the season, so it's not like they're replacing a full-time starter exactly. But um, Cam McCormick will be back. Yep. What's he like? Is he fully recovered? Is he capable of, of really taking that job like we've expected for a while? If not, how, what's the progress been for a Spencer Webb or a, or a Patrick Herbert or a Hunter Campmoyer? And then what about DJ Johnson? He's kind of the wild card there. So yeah, he I moved, think, we yeah. forget about that. He, he moved, moved from the end to, to tight end. Yeah, so there's going to be some questions there. So, yeah, there and, and we did mention facetiously to start, but there are a lot of questions for the kicking game. Yeah. Like, Oregon needs to find a new punter because Blake Maimone graduated. Thompson, he's on scholarship. You expect to win that, but... Blake Maimone wasn't on scholarship and beat out Tom Snee a couple years ago for that job and then place kicker. Has Camden Lewis done enough to, to secure that for the you know for the future or does he need to kind of prove it again and, and beat out some of these walk-ons who are on the roster too? Spring football will commence on March, what is it, 5th? 5th is right. And then they'll have another practice on the 7th, which is a Saturday. We will both be there. And then from there, Eric and I will be doing our goodbyes. Oh. Uh, Eric will be covering the spring football, so make sure to track with him. I will be going to Vegas to cover the men's tournament. And then from wherever they go uh, that next week for the tournament, I'll, I will be going. So Eric will be your point person for the first half of spring football as I will be covering the men while he covers the women remotely and then covering spring football in its entirety. Um so lots to get to. I'm excited to cover some football. Football is always awesome. We're talking football again, and actual practice and whatnot. So we'll have tons of coverage up there. We'll have video of it. The first practice, we'll have photos. We'll have analysis. We'll have everything that we typically do. Um, I think you and I have done a pretty good job of making it clear of what you can expect from our coverage. Yeah, uh, and it'll continue this and year. And it'll continue this year. So if you are not a subscriber to duckterritory.com. I highly encourage you guys to take advantage of that $1 promo because don't know when it will go away. Um, $1 for your first month for 30 days. And after that, $99.95 per month. So for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Brame, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Adios, amigos.